welcome to the podcast of the National Institute for Health Research, the NIHR. This is an episode in the series Conversations about Diabetes Research. And this time we will be answering the question, what is medical research? My name is Dr. Neil Hill and I'm a consultant in diabetes and endocrinology at Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust, as well as the speciality lead for diabetes for the NIHR Clinical Research Network, Northwest London. And I'm Ruben Lewis, a research delivery manager at the NIHR Clinical Research Network, Northwest London. It's a pleasure to have you with us. So our goal with this podcast, Conversations About Diabetes Research, is exactly that, to have more dialogue about diabetes research, to increase awareness, promote discussion, address challenges and misconceptions, to hopefully inform and signpost anyone listening to various forms of diabetes research out there and how they may be able to take part. But today's podcast is called Diabetes, Guinea Pigs and the Himalayas. Now, appreciated. It's a bit of a strange title, but hopefully it will make sense over the course of the podcast. So today we really want, we do want to empathise and acknowledge that people have reasonable fears and concerns about taking part in research, but we also want to challenge misconceptions. And to do this, in this case, I suppose, is to go right back to the beginning, learning what research is. So Neil, let's start there. What is medical research? Well, I looked up the dictionary definition of research, and it defines it as the systematic investigation into study of materials and sources in order to establish facts and reach new conclusions. Hold on there, Neil. That's a a bit of a long sentence. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, I suppose, put simply, medical research is a way to find out if ideas about treatments or ways of doing things can make short or longer-term improvements to people's health and to reduce the sort of negative effects that you might get with a disease. So in other words, if you give something or do something, and then you measure its effects, that is research. And the reason for doing this is so that we can build up what we call evidence. And I suppose to use a light-hearted analogy, you don't necessarily need research to show that using a parachute prevents injuries if you jump out of a plane, but you might want to do a study to work out if it's round or square-shaped parachutes that are more effective at reducing injuries to the legs when people land. So research comes in all shapes and sizes. Some of it includes treatments or or new medications, but not all research is on medications. It might be whether or not it's possible to improve outcomes through people's behaviour changes or education, or maybe using things like technology or mobile phone apps. And it might just be simple things like offering foot cushioning insoles to people with foot problems secondary to their diabetes. I've been really lucky to study glucose levels in people walking in the Himalayas at high altitude and also investigating how people with diabetes manage long-distance cycling across Europe. Gosh, I mean, when I, when I think about something like that, I mean, I mean, I get tired riding my bike around Shepherd's Bush. I'm exhausted about hearing that, but that sounds also so, so interesting. Would you be happy to maybe talk about that in another podcast? Yeah, of course. That's great. Well, stay tuned. You've heard of Flying Doctors. We have here the Himalayan cycling doctor. So, um, but Neil, let's say I've got an idea. Okay, let's be a, a little bit rock and roll about this. Here's my idea, Neil. Playing the drums reduces levels of sugar in my body. Now, I'm, I'm sure you'll 
testify that this is an unlikely scenario. But it's my research idea. I mean, where do I start from here? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Any research study really begins with an idea. And in most cases, healthcare professionals or patients and the public and researchers work together along with statisticians, trial managers and representatives from pharmaceutical companies to try and design the best possible study to figure out whether or not your idea is correct. Okay, so uh, I've designed my drumming study with lots and lots of experts chipping in. Can I, can I start now? No, not quite, I'm afraid. Oh. So if, if the study needs lots of people, lots of volunteers, then it has to be funded. And funding for research comes from lots of different options. Uh, that can include national charities like Diabetes UK or the JDRF, or other research bodies like the National Institute for Health Research. And the funders will look at your, your trial idea, check that you've had input from patients and the public, and decide whether or not it's something feasible or worth sort of investing in. Okay, but I presume some the funding is needed to pay participants for their time, presumably. Well, not normally. The funding um, for research studies is normally to ensure that the research can take place, and that involves paying for the time of the people undertaking the study, be that the healthcare professionals and the research nurses who talk to people like, like you guys listening about the research. And it also goes into things like administrative costs that actually make sure the studies can be run. So, for example, in your example, your funding may be used to buy the drum kits uh, for the participants in order to answer your question about drumming and diabetes. Okay, okay, I see. So, um, say I've, I've got my funding. Um, can I now go to, let's say, my local hospital or GP practice and start asking people to take part in my study? You're very keen, but not yet, I'm afraid. <laughs> you still have to get approval from a research or ethics committee. What's a, what's an ethics committee? So it's a sort of it's a group of independent people and normally it includes doctors, nurses, other medical professionals, members of the public and occasionally lawyers and they review your study application to check that it's going to be done in a safe manner without undue risk to the people who are taking part in it. And then once it's approved, members of the public are again invited to in, take part in the study either through your GP or a hospital doctor, through a research nurse that you might meet, or perhaps even through adverts in the newspaper or on the radio. Okay, okay. But what happens to participants during your research study then? Well, it depends what the study's doing, of course, but typically we'll collect information about them through either questionnaires, particularly now with COVID, um, we do much as much as possible remotely, but equally we might check people's blood pressure, do some blood tests, do x-rays or, or ECGs, and then we analyse that data and try to publish the results in scientific literature and at conferences so that this information will be repeated and taken up and ideally will confirm that the work has, has changed medical practice for the better and improving outcomes for people. So I suppose this, this is where the, the, the guinea pig element comes in, you know, being poked and prodded and tested, right? I, I completely agree sort of understand that you know people might have concerns about being poked and prodded in the name of research. But all people volunteering um, are given all the information they need so that they can make an informed decision about whether or not they actually want to take part in the in the study. It's never compulsory and people would have to fully consent to to taking part in any study. Uh, we always do our best to answer questions, take people's feelings into account and and treat people uh, in a professional manner, 
And of course, you know, participation is vital because without people and without their information, we won't have any answers to inform future treatments. Okay, but I, I, I realise now going into this podcast, so far we've not really mentioned any diabetes research. So why is research relevant to diabetes itself? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I guess the treatments we have today have been built on clinical research over the past, well, 20, 30, maybe, maybe 100 years. Human studies just under 100 years ago paved the way for insulin treatment today. Mm. In, in 1922, uh, two Canadian doctors, uh, Banting and Best, were researching diabetes and they gave the first ever in insulin injection to a 14-year-old boy with type 1 diabetes. They saved his life and they transformed the management of diabetes forever. And, and that's the hope with today's research, that what we are researching now will quickly and, and effectively change people's treatment, be that in, in diagnosis or care for people with diabetes, so that they have better health outcomes, both in the short and the longer term. And there are loads of research areas that we don't know all the answers to. Um, for example, what's the best combination of tablets for people with type 2 diabetes if you're 30 years old or if you're 80 years old, do your genetics play a role in it? There's, there's loads we can learn and make the lives for people with diabetes better. So I've done enough talking now, and I'm sure uh, everyone <laughs> listening is probably a bit fed up with my nasal voice. Uh, Ruben, you mentioned that you've been in research for more than 10 years. Have you actually taken part in any research yourself? Yeah, actually. Uh, I've, done, I've done one or two studies, yeah. Okay, and what were what for you were the benefits of doing this? Oh, I mean, for me it was uh, it was like a, a free health check, I suppose. I uh, I know I, I remember my my blood pressure being checked, my heart monitored, my brain scanned. It it was very reassuring to me to have all those things. It was also really exciting to know that I'd be sort of accessing treatment to new drugs and techniques that that could help me, but that are not actually available on the NHS. And, 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 and like you mentioned earlier, I was so well supported um, throughout the trial and had regular access to sort of healthcare professionals and experts. And, and what about the wider diabetes community? What, what's in it for them, do you think? It's a really good question. Well, I, I've heard, you know, through, through various volunteers that it, that it provides motivational benefits for those with diabetes who are, who are maybe stuck in a rut or experiencing burnout. Um, some studies often trial new tech. And on some occasions, people can actually keep the tech. Um, participants become more knowledgeable and empowered to look after the, their own diabetes better. And sometimes um, you can meet peers with similar diabetic life experiences. And it's really enjoyable and you form a bit of a peer support group. But it's also worth saying at this point that we hope to invite someone with diabetes who's participated in research onto the podcast to explain their experiences directly, which will be uh, really, really interesting. I really look forward to doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously, we've painted an overwhelmingly positive experience so far. Are there any downsides to research? Uh, well, I suppose if you're on a treatment trial, you might experience some unexpected side effects. Maybe the treatment may not work any better than the current one you are on or may not be as effective. And also, also you might find that it's more commitment than actually you expected and you might have to take time off work or it eats into your, uh, into your sort of personal time. But all of those things, um, you'd be well supported through all of that. Okay. And for those people who are listening and interested in getting involved, what would you advise, please? 
Well, you, you you mentioned a little bit, sort of ask ask your doctor, ask your GP, ask a hospital doctor if they know of any clinical trials that you might be eligible to join. And there are also a number of uh, websites that you can register your interest in taking part in research. For example, if you search Be Part of Research on the internet, you'll find it's a national website that has information about clinical trials all over the country in most disease areas, including how to take part in COVID vaccine research and other COVID trials. Specifically for Northwest London, uh, we have a research register called Discover. If you type Discover Register into your internet browser, you can sign up to be contacted by them. And if there are any research and if there is any research available that, that sort of matches your interest, they'll contact you. Thanks, Ruben. So that's be part of research or discover register to, to look up on online. Correct. Yeah. So so that I think probably draws to to an end our time chatting. And I hope everyone listening's enjoyed our conversations about diabetes research podcast today. In a small way, we hope we've provided some insight into what medical research is, what happens in medical research, I suppose why it's important, and I hope we've allayed any fears that some people may have about it. And we very much hope that you'll click onto our next podcast when we publish it, which is going to be titled Diabetes, Diabetes and Obesity, The Best of Friends. This was an episode of the NIHR podcast, part of our Conversations About Diabetes research series. I'm Dr. Neil Hill. And I'm Ruben Lewis. Thank you for listening. For more information about the NIHR, you can visit our website, www.nihr.ac.uk, or find us on Twitter at NIHR Research. Thank you.